This morning's Bible reading comes from Luke, chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, and it can be found on page 1036. So that's Luke, chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, 1036. This is the parable of the sower. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because there was no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the the devil comes and takes away the words from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky road are the ones who receive the word with joy, When they hear it, but they have no root, they believe for a while, but in times of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop. This is the word of the Lord. When he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, robed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could sing that in full assurance that you will bring this about. And so please be with us today. And as we reflect on your precious word, may it take root in our lives and continue to change us. For Christ's sake. Amen. I'm tone deaf. 
And because of that, my wife forbade me singing nursery rhymes to the kids when they were young because she wanted them to be able to understand the tunes and know the tunes. Uh, nothing's changed, actually. Uh, but because I'm tone deaf and couldn't sing nursery rhymes for the kids, dad jokes became really important to me. And so here's one of the ones that I think uh, was a really good one. I remember telling it to the kids at dinner time, and what happened was they sat blankly for a while and then started laughing. So let me try it with you. If a blue house is made of blue bricks and a red house is made of red bricks, a pink house is made of pink bricks and a yellow house of yellow bricks, what's a green house made of? Glass. That's right. It's a, some of you got it because some of you started laughing. Some of you are getting it now. Yeah. Uh, but that, uh, what is it about a riddle uh, that makes it work? It's partly that the answer is obvious. What's a greenhouse made of? Green bricks. But it's the unexpected twist, a twist that the greenhouse isn't about a house at all, but it's about something you grow plants in. And that's what makes it funny. That, that's, that's what the joke is. And Jesus often speaks in such a way. He often tells stories, and they're everyday stories that make sense but they have a very sharp twist and in that twist you actually get an insight into what's really going on and that's what's happening in this parable that was just read to us as well. It's a simple story that everybody would have known but there's a real twist in it. So do come with me back to page 1036. It's a well-known story, parable from Jesus but we're looking for the twist today. So Jesus tells this story uh, in verses 5 to 8. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds came and devoured it. And some fell in the good soil, and it grew and, and produced a hundredfold. So, you know the story as well as I do. It seems like a very silly farmer that we have here, um, when my children were young, we used to read the Bible, which had, it was a picture Bible. And in the picture Bible, it had the sower, who had blonde hair, which is a bit strange, isn't it, for, uh, for ancient Israel. But the sower was there, he had this big bowl in front of him, it was around his neck, and what he was doing, he was doing this, he was picking up uh, the seed and just casting it everywhere that it went. And uh, when, uh, when we would read it through, the kids would say, stop! Don't throw it there. Don't throw it there. You were so foolish. They couldn't cope with the stupidity of the farmer because he throws seed, some falls on the pathway and it's snapped away straight away. Some falls on the rocky soil and it grows a little bit but then dies. Some falls in the, thor in the soil that's got thorns in it and it's choked out and only a little bit falls on the good soil, and my kids couldn't get used to that. They're saying, why are you doing such a stupid thing? Why don't you just sow it onto the good soil? But the reason why the farmer doesn't sow it onto the good soil is that we have in our head 21st century farming. So the first bit of the soil falls upon the path. Now, when we read the word path, what do you think? Bitumen, cement, like what you've got out there. But that's not the way it was in the first century. They didn't have paths like we have paths. What happened was people used to walk through the fields. And of course they would walk on the shortest possible route from where they were to where they wanted to go. And that would be what creates the path. 
It's not really noticeable, but the constant pounding of feet would compress the soil so that when the seed lands on that, it just can't get embedded. It just sits on the top. And so the next person who walks along there crushes the seed. Or if the person doesn't crush the seed, the seed sits on the top of the soil, on top of the path, and the birds come and snatch it away. Some of it fell on the rocks. Again, we're used to tractors and cultivators that plough the soil and remove all the rocks. No, the fields had rocks in them. They were quite steep, so you never have a cultivator anyway, let alone be in the first century. But for us, our fields have had the rocks removed years ago, but not in ancient Israel. <coughs> what you had was what you had. You had land that had lots of rocks in it, and it was impossible to get rid of the rocks. And so you just sow on and around the rocks. Uh, that's all you had. You see, here's a picture of modern Israel. That's what it is still like. You see that? Uh, it's hilly. You sow your seed, but the rocks are all there. And then the third soil is the sower scatters the seed where the thorns grow up. Well, you can't help doing that either. As the farmer walks along scattering his seed, the thorns haven't grown up yet. You don't know where the thorns will be. You can't know where the spores are that are going to produce those thorns. And there were no herbicides in the first century that you could spray before you sowed. And so it would be impossible to separate the weed from the plants. And so the path, the rocks, the weeds, they are there and there is nothing that the farmer could do about it. So what do you do if you're a farmer? Scattering the seeds knowing that three-quarters of it is not going to produce anything. You could say, I'm going to save the seed because it's so wasteful. But that's not an option, is it? You just sow the seed, despite the fact that there are three poor soils, because it is worth doing, because some of it falls on good soil. And the seed that falls on the good soil produces a hundred times more than what was sown. That is, uh, you've got a 97 times increase from what you started with. That's a good return, isn't it? So as you start to read it, you think, how wasteful, and at the end you say, 97 times return, that's pretty good. It starts off looking so wasteful, but it really produces well. Now I'm sure that when Jesus told this story, there would have been many farmers present and I suppose that there were also many people who weren't farmers present there. They would have been townspeople and shepherds. And I reckon the farmers would have nodded their heads strongly in agreement with what Jesus said. And, he said, and they would have thought, this man gets our difficulty. I'm glad that he understands us. And others there, the townspeople perhaps might have thought, ah, that's what keeps the farmer going, even though we know that some of it's going to land on the path. It is a story that would have made sense to everybody but there's more to the story than the story so far because Jesus goes on to explain what the story's about and without Jesus' explanations it's just red houses and green and blue houses, there is no punchline. What Jesus says is obvious but there's no point to it. There is nothing to learn from it. In fact, it doesn't even raise a chuckle. And so Jesus moves on to explain the story that he tells, but as he does that, it gets harder. 
harder not, them, not just for them, but for us too, for us who are listening, because it calls on us to learn from Jesus and to be changed by what Jesus says. <clears throat> so what do you need to do now as we look at what Jesus says? I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to listen very carefully because the story was easy but the joy and the benefit comes by paying attention not just to the story but what it means so jesus says i don't know if this is going to come up he who has ears to hear let him hear that is you're sitting here today at st stephen's if you do not hear, if you do not listen, if you do not attend, it's worse than not getting the punchline to the joke. The most important thing is being said to you by Jesus today and if you are not listening, you'll go away saying, nice story, but it being no benefit to you. So Jesus tells the story of the farmer who in some ways might have been called a poor farmer. But in the explanation that Jesus gives, you might go away thinking, Jesus is an inferior saviour. Because as Jesus speaks about what he is doing, speaking words that bring people to eternal life, it seems so wasteful. Three types of people for whom it is no benefit what is his excuse for wasting those resources? Because in the first century, the farmer was trapped in the first century. He was unable to see the pathway. He was incapable of removing the rocks. He was ineffective in avoiding the weeds. But Jesus can do anything. Jesus knows everything. So why doesn't he just sow into that fourth soil? Because Jesus is absolutely and certainly in charge. He could have done that. All you've got to do is look back into chapter 7, the chapter before the one that was read to us. And I hope you do that. And what you see there is a man who comes to Jesus with a servant who is sick at home in bed about to die. Sick at home. That is, no assistance, no hospital, no medicines. About to die. And with a word... Jesus heals that servant and heals him remotely at distance. That servant is restored to full health. And then a little bit later in chapter 7, in a small village, a boy is being carried out of the village to be buried. It is so unfair. He is yet to live life and his life is cut short. And it's made even more sad by the fact that his widowed mother is there grieving for him. She has lost her husband. She has lost her son. She's got no one. And with a word, Jesus reverses all of that sadness and loss. And the dead boy is restored to full health and restored to his mother. Doesn't that take your breath away? And then at the end of chapter 7, you've got a prostitute. In an age where there was no regular bathing, no antibiotics, Prostitutes would have been a walking disease factory. And Jesus, rather than looking down on her or sneering at her in superiority, permits her to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them dry with her hair and then declares to her, your sins are forgiven. And then even in the opening verses, the first three verses of our chapter that were just read to us, 
we see some women who were cured of evil spirits and diseases. And I could imagine that anyone looking at these women would have had a reminder of the wonderful kindness and power of Jesus. This was no ordinary man. But what do you make of Jesus? He doesn't fit any normal expectations. You know that he is spectacular, you know that he is special, but he's not like the priests, he's not like the leaders. What do you make of Jesus? In this last week, if you've been following in the news, we've got all these issues that are going on in Turkey, haven't we? So you've got the President of the United States, who is at least unpredictable. You've got the President of Turkey, who at least is unpredictable. You've got the Turkish lira going south. You've got people saying the whole world economy is going to fall apart and you think, what's going to happen in Turkey? Well, there are some hints about it, aren't they? Because you know the character of President Trump, you know the character of the Turkish president, so you get a feel for what might happen, but you can't be sure. It's a little bit like that with Jesus. When you look at what he has been doing, you can't work out what category to put him in. But one thing you could say is you can absolutely trust him. Jesus is powerful and he is good. The prostitute, the widowed mother, the man with the servant all knew that this man fixes up a rotten, broken, wrong world. And for them, he was their only hope. And he provided that hope. So despite wherever else they might look, looking to Jesus is the only solution. Jesus is bringing in a new kingdom, one that is so different to every expectation. But as you get to this story in chapter 8, what is he doing? He is so, so powerful and so overwhelmingly loving and so forgiving. Yet this story is a story of wasting three quarters of a seed. Why would Jesus do it? Why would he waste the seed? Why does he speak in riddles? Why does he waste the resources? That's the thing that Jesus answers. And he answers it for our benefit. He says, the seed is the word of God. That is what you are hearing now and along with the rest of the Bible. And that seed is scattered everywhere. Every race in our world has heard it. Every people group has heard the word of God. Uh, whether you are wealthy or whether you have lack of wealth, that doesn't enhance or prohibit you from hearing the word of God. The seed is scattered everywhere. Every nation knows the word of God. But Jesus likens it to seed, which I think is a great image. This is a seed. It happens to be a seed for a giant Russian sunflower. I planted four of them earlier this week at home. You know what's going to happen, they tell me? But they don't know what I'm like as a gardener. But uh, they say in 90 days' time, this seed, which is probably what? Eight millimetres long by three millimetres wide, something like that. In 90 days, this seed is going to produce a plant that is two and a half metres tall. And at the top of that plant is going to be this big, vibrant 30 centimetre flower which is yellow, and then it's got bright orange in the middle of it. That is amazing, isn't it? 
encoded into this little shriveled up thing that I just held in my hand uh, is the beginning of a green leaves and a big green stalk and all of that complicated flower that he's going to produce. And that's what Jesus likens this word of God to. It seems so unimpressive and so unimportant, doesn't it? Just puffs of breath that people speak or words, ink spots on a page. But Jesus is saying it is like a seed. It's going to transform people and transform the world. A bit like this. They're the seeds that you have and they produce so many different things. So inside each of those little blighters is all that you need to create great things. From the tallest of trees to corn with all of its variety to shrubs to roses with every rose having its own distinct scent all encapsulated in that tiny shell, which is the seed, that incredible amount of DNA. And so then let's have a look at what Jesus goes on to say. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Hearing the word of God changes people permanently, changes people from being selfish pigs to being carers of other people, from being without any hope of eternity to knowing that heaven is home, from doubt and fear to being confident in it and trusting in God. The seed looks so impressive, but it achieves so much. You know, we, saw, we probably remember a couple of years ago those 28 Egyptian people dressed in orange, beheaded by Isis down by the water. Why would they do that? All they had to do was renounce Jesus and say, Allah is God but they didn't. That is the power of the seed of the word of God. And there is nothing else that could do that. Powerful governments, they come and go. Or worse, they become corrupt. Armies, education, social media agitation, they all come and go. But the seed, the word of God, transforms people from darkness to light and from death to life. It is that power it is that shriveled up little oval thing that produces such beauty. What a foolish thing not to let that seed take root and grow. But it doesn't always take root and grow and produce a hundredfold. So in a couple of words here in this little story from Jesus, our attention is refocused from the power of that seed to the four types of soil. And so the first soil is the soil which, which is the path. The seed is sown and the words are spoken, but as soon as it's spoken, they are taken away. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And the ones on the rock... Oh, sorry, that, that's, that's bad, isn't it? Let me read you verse 12. This, that's all wrong. Those along the path are the ones who hear and the devil comes and takes it away, takes away the word from their hearts so they don't believe and are not saved. Fields that have lots of feet stomping on them become well-trodden paths, not a soil that grows beautiful plants. And the more that it's trodden, the more you listen to those well-practiced lines, the less the seed penetrates. Now, you'll have your own versions of what those well-practiced lines are, but here are some of them. Christians are just in it for the money. They're brainwashers. 
There's so much pedophilia in the church, why should we bother with it? What Christianity does is take away your independence. I don't need other people's help. The more you say that, the more it gets trodden. And they, they will look for any reason not to listen. And the word hits that hard path and never has a chance to penetrate. Even though people know that there is something essential that is missing from life, they refuse to even listen to or engage into the fact that this might be the answer. It is always gone. It is snatched away. The opportunity is lost. And people who remain in such need are lost. That is the soil which is the path. And then you've got the second soil, the rocky soil. Some fell on the rocky ground and when it came up the plants withered because they had no moisture. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word of God with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. One thing I've noticed about my grass at home is that the grass that grows fastest is the one that is right up against the fence, right up against other things, right up against the rocks because it's warm there and it grows most quickly. And so it is with these people. They start so well. They listen because here is the answer to my problems. But all that happens is I am seeking an answer for my problems. And when the difficulties of life come, and they do come, when the difficulties of life come and the answers aren't forthcoming, you shrivel up and die. And you say, why did I bother believing that? How can you trust in God when he hasn't come good? That's the rocky soil. And then thirdly, the thorny soil. Other seed fell on thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. The seed that fell amongst the thorns are those who hear but they go on their way and are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit doesn't mature. This soil, this thorny soil, is so sad and the trouble is I see it so often. It's a soil that gladly receives the word of God, that is the word that Jesus, the kind ruler and judge, has spoken of. They meet him. This soil wants to give its life to Jesus, but over time... Other things become distracting. Then the distracting things become important. And the important things become consuming. And the love of Jesus just gets choked out. When I speak with people who I see are this soil and they identify themselves as this soil, the most common response about how they got to where they are now is, I don't know, I never meant to. You see, the pathway doesn't care about the word of God. The rocky soil goes off with its own desires and after a short time doesn't give a second thought to the word of God. But the thorny soil is such a miserable place to be, wanting to hear Jesus, to grow in him, but choked out and never meaning to give up. These three soils challenge you and me. Not just to think about green bricks and blue bricks, but to look deeper in the way we respond to Jesus. You have all heard his word today. And there is nothing more important than you can hear than his word. 
And what are you doing with these words of Jesus? I actually want you to be honest. I want you to examine your own heart. Are you the pathway where the words just bounce off your forehead and are gleefully picked away by the devil? That's occasionally not even listening now. Or the rocky soil, wanting your suffering alleviated, your aspirations and hope met. And when the hard days come, and they will come, the promises of King Jesus are soon forgotten because it's too hard, too painful. Are you the rocky soil? Are you the thorny soil? Are you at that point or see yourself starting down that pathway, that route of, I never meant to, but other things just became more important than listening to and responding to Jesus? Things just got in the way of wholeheartedly living for him. The description of all of these three soils is a description of judgment. To be offered the truth, the answer to remake a twisted world and to live rightly in it and ignoring it. Such judgment. And the judgment comes from the one who sows the seed. So I'm asking us all this morning to be honest and examine our hearts. Are you one of these three soils? Because I suspect in a group that is this size and because I know of the human addiction to sin, a natural response is to not listen to the word of God. But here are words that are wonderful, in fact almost too wonderful to believe, is that you can change. That is why Jesus scatters the seed onto the four soils. Not that he is being wasteful, because some of the seed on the path, some of the seed on the rocky soil, some of the seed in the thorny soil, even though it seems impossible, God by his spirit lets it sink in. So I'm asking you to let the spirit work and let it sink in if that is you. And in doing that, you'll become the fourth soil. Some fell on the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Then verse 15. As for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. It produces a hundred times more than what you started with. Feel that number of a hundred. There is massive growth. Um, I have a dollar here. What would happen if I was to say, if you've got a dollar, I will exchange that for a hundred dollars? Who wouldn't take up that offer? Of course, you'd be a fool not to take it up, wouldn't you? But that spectacular growth is the sort of thing that Jesus is speaking about. So why wouldn't you want to be the four soil, one to a hundred? That is fantastic growth. I'll tell you why you won't. You don't see it. It's unspectacular. Many of you, I am sure, are the four soil, but you think, how have I changed? How am I different today than what I was a week ago? How am I different today to what I was a month ago, a year ago, five years ago? The growth is unspectacular, isn't it? But that's the point of the idea of seed. It takes time to grow. You sow a shriveled up little thing, and in time, with patience and with perseverance, it grows. And so what I'm calling on us to do, if you are the fourth soil, is to keep on persevering. 
I know how easy it is to think, why doesn't God make himself clearer? Why doesn't God fix this world up now? Why doesn't God answer my prayers the way that I want them answered? You know what the answer is? Keep persevering. As you keep trusting God through the non-answers, what happens is he grows up that hundredfold increase. And so, friends, that's what the call is today. If you are one of those three soils, hear the word of God, identify it as that. Don't beat yourself up over it. Graham started today reminding us of grace. Don't beat yourself up over it. Thank God that he's brought you to your senses and asked him to make you the fourth soil and he promises to do it. And if you are the fourth soil, remember perseverance is what it is about. It happens slowly over time. 90 days from seed to the big Russian uh, sunflower is a very short period of time. But it's a lifetime of persevering that God is calling us to. And it is not wasted there is such a massive harvest. Now, numbers, one to a hundred is a huge difference. But I'll tell you the big difference that has gone on. You have gone from being enemies of God without hope in this world to being children of God Almighty, brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus with the certainty of eternity. Keep on persevering. And it affects not just you, but in your persevering, the world will be reached with the gospel as well. Isn't this a great encouragement to us? Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Lord God, we thank you for Jesus, the sower. Thank you that you bothered taking the time to sow the seed. Thank you that you promise in the sowing of the seed that it will grow when heard a hundredfold. Heavenly Father, enable us to be honest with ourselves, to understand the soil that we are, to change as we must. And thank you that you give your spirit to enable that change to occur. And Heavenly Father, please give us that perseverance that keeps on growing even when the changes occur so slowly but we thank you for that wonderful promise of the hundredfold increase. Amen.